0: Please remain standing, if you may, uh, for the reading of God's word in Daniel chapter 6. We're going to study the whole chapter, but let's read the heart of it, beginning in verse 19. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God. Has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel Out of the den. Heavenly Father, as we come to study this chapter in your word, help us to step into the shoes of Daniel to understand what it must have been like to be tested again at this time in his life. And give us a heart to trust in you, whatever the circumstances, whatever the stage of life. Help us to finish well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. This is one of our favorite stories, isn't it, in the book of Daniel. But I ask you, if you haven't looked in the bulletin yet, don't look at the outline right now. How old do you picture Daniel to be when he was cast into the lion's den? I've been asking people all week that. And most people answered that they, they picture him kind of in the prime of life. He's you know, a, a reasonably mature uh, young man. Some thought, well, this is later. This is another king in Babylon, and he must be in his 60s by now. That's what I thought. I thought this is going to be a story for my age and stage. And then I worked out the timeline. Now you can see in the outline in your bulletin that Nebuchadnezzar conquered Jerusalem in 605 BC. And in that year, in September of that year, he was made king of Babylon. So uh, Daniel's being brought to Babylon in the beginning of the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar is about the same time. Daniel and his friends were given the the tests about uh, dietary laws. The king was trying to honor him. Honor him. Then he was among the elite chosen uh, from all the conquered lands. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar had this strategy: take the elite, train them in Babylonian ways, and we not only conquer them as people, but we will take over them. Take over the leaders for their cultures, and they'll become Babylonian. First year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. The second year. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. It was impossible for the wise men to interpret the dream because Nebuchadnezzar wouldn't tell them the dream. And he was going to kill them all if they couldn't, including Daniel. And God gave Daniel the dream and the interpretation. He saved not only himself and his friends, but all of the wise men in the court that's early in Daniel's career how old do you think Daniel must have been then probably 15 to 20 the Bible doesn't tell us how old Daniel was but he was among the young men the young elite so 15 to 20 in 605 BC Nebuchadnezzar reigned for a good long time for 52 years before Belshazzar became king of Babylon 52 years plus 15 to 20 years old would make Daniel at that stage older than I am, 67 to 72 years old. And that's the second king that he served under. We looked last week at the one chapter devoted to Belshazzar and his history as his kingdom was declared to be at an end with that miraculous handwriting on the wall that told of his doom. We'll see in later chapters that Daniel had a couple of visions. Marty's going to be preaching next week on two of the visions during Belshazzar's reign. But the history of Daniel goes on to the next king, Darius the Mede, who became king of Babylon in 539 B.C. That's 66 years after Nebuchadnezzar became king. 66 years plus 15 to 20 years old, Daniel is 15 to 20 years old when he went to Babylon, is 81 to 86 years old. And I pictured that age and stage for Daniel and the test of faith with the lion's den and Daniel's mighty strength of spirit in facing that and just picturing him in the lines, it just added pathos to the whole story. And I wonder if I had been Daniel, would I have thought, oh, God, good grief. Really? How long, O oh Lord? I've been faithful before, and, and I thought everything worked out. You dealt with Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, you brought him, him down so that he acknowledged you as the true and living God. We seem to have won our culture. I was honored and blessed in in the kingdom. Belshazzar kind of forgot me. His wife had to remind him that there was somebody named Daniel. He didn't recognize me. That was a little bit of a low period, but it wasn't a lot of testing and suffering for me during that stage. And then I come and Darius seems to want to honor me, but really? Have any of you ever thought that by this time, uh, stage and stage in your life and you might be 18 years old and just been a Christian for two years but you thought, my life should be working out I should not have the problem I'm following Christ why is God allowing this to happen in my life why is the suffering continuing now you begin to get the picture of what it might have been like for Daniel why is God still allowing this fall in the world to go on so fallen our series has been how to live in the pagan world without becoming pagan and part of the test of it all is perseverance the world is not going to become ideal until christ comes again it will always be a fallen world there will be ups and downs where we'll be more supported and popular uh, by our culture as Christians, they'll recognize uh, good work ethic and values and honesty and, and kindness and, and love and graciousness when we live up to what our calling would be. And there may be times that are really low when, it's, when we're mocked and ridiculed and, and tested in our faith. And there are all sorts of other kinds of sufferings that God allows into our lives. And we can begin to think, oh God, are you really? are you really... There and working it out for me. Perseverance is a characteristic of Christian faith. How do you respond when suffering comes? Well, now let's look at the whole chapter of Daniel. You know, we're going to apply it as we go through it. What happened and what can we learn from it? In the first place, I would say don't assume that the pagan world hates you. That's a surprise. We think of suffering and, oh, how we're going to catch it off we get a martyr complex. But that's not the way this chapter begins. Let's read, beginning in verse 1. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. Now, they were in a culture where, you know, you, you grew wiser with your age, just kind of the Far Eastern Cultures. So that's not so surprising that the administrators would be that old. But it is surprising that Daniel is one of the three. How honored and esteemed is he? The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now, Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. You may be honored and esteemed in your work, in your neighborhood, in your friendship circles, even by those who don't support your faith. But don't, don't just assume that the world is going to reject you for being Christians. We can kind of get a chip on our shoulder if we think that. And we can be the antagonist, Instead, Daniel just did his job faithfully. He did it well. He did it conscientiously. He did it honestly. So that Darius honored him above all the rest. He was going to make him prime minister under the king. Now, if I were Daniel, I think with this high position, I shouldn't have any problems. But look at the next verse. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against, against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs. But they were unable to do so. That's human nature. Turn on the news. Look at politics today. You get jealous of those at the top. Those who wield the power have opponents that are always trying to bring them down. And what's interesting is that these other administrators and satraps were not against Daniel because of his faith. They were against Daniel because of his position. And they tried to find corruption in Daniel and the way he handled government affairs. And they could not find any. But their investigations were not over. It says they could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Oh, I pray that as we grow up as Christians, that we grow up, in our, in expressing the fruit of our faith by not being corrupt or negligent in our responsibilities. We can so overreact to a sense of self-righteousness, we should never be self-righteous, that we begin to think it doesn't matter if we're righteous. And actually the fruit of the grace of God in our lives should be that we want to live it out in a way that we are earnest in pleasing the one who saved us. So it does matter how we conduct ourselves. Oh, that you may be found in your work and your family and in your uh, affairs, that you would be uh, neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Their motive was to bring him down out because they were jealous. And they turned to his faith and found, here we might have a handle. So it turned to persecution over his faith. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, Oh, King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict. Stop there. Don't you think they were probably overstating their case? I'll bet you anything they didn't have a vote from all the the satraps and prefects and administrators. They just assumed to represent them all. They were the the little group, the little cabal, that was going going to bring uh, Daniel down. They went saying this. We've all agreed that you should be honored. It's a trap. It's a deceptive trap for Daniel, it's disingenuous it said that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days except to you O king shall be thrown into the lion's den now O king issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians which cannot be repealed So King Darius put the decree in writing. He didn't realize the unintended consequences of this decree. He loved Daniel. He wanted to honor Daniel. He wanted to put him in charge of everybody else. But he was flattered here. And they won the day. And he issued the decree, put it in writing so that it could not be altered, that if you prayed to any other God or man, other than to the king, you'd be thrown into the lion's den. Things can get set up where the person who signs the decree, so to speak, was not out to get you. But just in the manipulations of things, you're caught in a trap and you're tested in your faith. There you have to remember, don't assume that everybody hates you. Maybe a few, but they won the day. Don't don't assume that there won't be those that hate you. That's the real world. Now that's important because Daniel could have responded to this decree by being so angry with Darius that he never would uh, honor him, be faithful to him again. He could have hated the king for signing this decree, but Darius wasn't out to get Daniel. He was tricked. So how did Daniel respond? Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went out and he got to picket line and he got a crowd together and he went and protested to the king and said, King Darius, you have betrayed us. How could you do this to us? We are so oppressed and so offended. That's not what he did. That's what we might do in our culture but well, this is what Daniel did. I love reading through the text and thinking this is what we would probably do and then see the text taken in the opposite direction. He went, to, he went home to his upstairs room where the, wind, with, where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, God, bring down King Darius. He didn't pray that. He didn't pray out of anger over his circumstance. It says, three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God. Philippians 4, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer and thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. When you go before God, do you stop and remember what he's done for you in jesus christ do you stop and remember that uh, nothing can snatch you out of his hand that he set heaven before you you have glory ahead do you stop and remember that whatever the suffering is that it is temporary by definition even if in earthly terms it seems to be permanent permanent means unto death when we go to heaven do you stop and remember that, that God has sent his Holy Spirit to indwell you, who is your ever-present help in time and trouble? Do you stop and remember things that fill your hearts with thanksgiving? That's not the natural response. It's a part of how we gather together to worship God every week, because it reminds us, of what we have to be thankful for, and that equips us to go back into our lives, whether they're blessed or whether they're difficult, to to live coming to God with thanksgiving, just as he had done before. Think about what that means. It wasn't that Daniel had been living high and, and going fine, head administrator, honored by everybody, but now he's in trouble, so now he goes and prays. This was his habit. This was built into his life. What he was doing was what he had done the day before and the day before that. He just wasn't faced. He was unflappable. He heard the decree and he went and prayed anyway. And he didn't make a big deal about it. He didn't uh, send a letter to the king saying, King, this is you are so wrong and God will judge you and I'm going to keep praying. He didn't do it in defiance. He just did it because he worshiped God. And he prayed daily. Do, do we? Then these men, uh, in verse uh, 11, then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. That's the whole point of the whole thing. They knew they would. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree did you not publish a decree that during the next thirty days, anyone who prays to any god or man except to you, O king, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. They're so conniving. They're so manipulative. They had the king underline his decree by his own profession again. Then they said to the king, Daniel who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you. Now, you may catch something of the motive. It wasn't just jealousy that he was in power. They identified him as an outsider. Now, I'm not sure of that one because many of them may have been outsiders. Remember, God, uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar chose uh, the best of all the conquered peoples to make them his elite, his band. So they may have come from all over the world. God is the one who put Daniel in this position. And they may have had many who are outsiders. That might not be the motivation. It may just be pure jealousy that he was top dog. We don't know for sure. But they said, Daniel, who's one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays, Three times a day. See, still prays. They knew that this was his custom. This was his habit. That's why they set up this test. His life was already evident before. him. His faith wasn't secret and private. It was open. But he wasn't going around in your face. I'm better than you. It was just open testimony. And they knew that he still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, He was greatly distressed because Daniel had stabbed him in the back. Daniel, who he thought would be faithful to him, would not honor his decree. And he was so mad he threw him in the lion's den. It's not what the passage says. If we were writing the script, we might think, well, see, that's human nature. But Darius realized he had been tricked. He was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Even though King Darius was not saying, the God of Daniel is my God, he had a high regard for Daniel. And it grieved him that he was uh, so trapped in this way. Then the men went as a group to the king and said to him, Remember, O king, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. It's the third time it's been said. What a principle in the country. Even when you see that it's wrong, you can't change it. And so the king was stuck. Verse 16, so the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. King Darius must have known the stories of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He would have already heard about this dream that everybody was going to be killed. And God gave Daniel the dream, and Daniel saved all of the nobles, not only his own life and the life of his friends, but of all of the court attendants. He must have heard about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace where Nebuchadnezzar saw that fourth figure who was Jesus himself. He was halfway there. The, The witness of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego through three generations of kings was such that Darius was saying, may your God save you. You have people that are looking at you and your faith the testimony of your faith and are drawn because they find it credible because they see the difference that it makes in your life that you know Christ do they see how you handled when you were fired from your job do, you, do they see how you handled when someone close to you turned against you Do they see how you handled when you got sick and it just really looked really bad? Do they see how you handled a death in your family? Do do they see the difference that it makes? They may not be Christians yet, but there may be those that that love you and find your faith credible. That's a wonderful thing. It's just one step beyond that to them embracing the Lord Jesus themselves. Well, Darius is, is there He's saying, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring, with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. It almost reminds me of the the stone over the tomb of Jesus. This was the law of the land. This was secure. It would have to be the work of God, because it wouldn't be somebody else coming and rescuing Daniel. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any, any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. He really cared about Daniel. He was, he was anxious, and he was hoping because he found it credible that the God who had delivered from the fiery furnace might deliver from this as well. That's astounding. And the witness of the faith that had gone before that Darius would not just go home and be so depressed that he'd drink until he fell asleep. He was anxiously awaiting to see would God deliver him. We know that because at the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? Do you see the faith that is in that? The hope that is in that? The recognition that the God that has proven faithful before and powerful before could do this? Who, what king would go to a lion's den the next morning to see if the, the prisoner had not been consumed? Only one who It's three-quarters of the way there to believing that God might do this. He could do this. And Daniel answered, Oh, king, live forever. Stop right there. That's the title of respect and courtesy. Yes, it is customary. It's like saying, sir, in this day. But if... If you had been Daniel, if I had been Daniel in that lion's den, what would you be thinking all night? Even with the mouths of the lions shut. I'd be thinking, I can't believe that my friend, King Darius, would do this to me. I can't believe, I can think of ways he could have fixed this. He could have at least had the lions fed with bunches of cows before they threw me in so they wouldn't be hungry. He could have thrown me into the lion's den, but he could have issued another decree to have the lions removed from the den before I was thrown into it. There are all sorts of ways he could have fixed it, and he didn't. He was my friend. I counted on him, and I can't believe he did this, so that when he comes in the next morning, oh, Daniel, has your God been able to, to rescue you? Then you say, I'm still here. No help to you. See, That's human nature. Is that the way... We respond when we're hurt by somebody. I had someone after the early service come up and tell me that uh, of an experience. He said it's just like this, that he was called in by his boss and an administrator and told that he was being demoted and that his pay would be cut. And it was not their choice, but it was an edict from on high in the company about how they had to reduce the size of the company. And he said, I was able to respond I've been here before, and let me tell you how God was faithful to me in going through these things. He ended up sharing his testimony with them for a half an hour, and then another uh, you know, boss that had not been in that meeting, he had another opportunity to, that same day to go by and say, I "Just wanted to share this with you," because he responded with trust in God instead of hurt and anger over the circumstance. Daniel says, "O King." Live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O oh king. The king was overjoyed. I, I just love this. The king was overjoyed. When you respond, with faith and trust in God and hope, instead of bitterness and malice, revenge, retaliation, anger, when you exude out of your hope in God that he is faithful and your soul is full because God loves you, he's made you significant, instead of being a hurt to those around you, you become a blessing to those around you. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. They were way over the top in those days. Why why didn't it just stop with uh, no wound had been found there because he trusted his God. Wouldn't that have been a nice ending to the chapter? And yet we might have thought, well, you know, somebody probably did sneak some food into those lions. I figured out a way to sedate them. Or, you know, maybe maybe it was a, a fluke and they were sick and, and not hungry. We could have come up with all sorts of possible explanations, but not when we have the end of the chapter It says, and before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all of their bones. They were hungry lions. It's like the seal on the stone. Nobody else could interfere. The lions were hungry. This was undeniably a marvelous deliverance by the hand of God. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language throughout the land, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. The end of all of this was praise from the very one who issued the decree that Daniel be thrown into the lion's den. When you suffer there are others that are watching to see how you respond. And your response, when it is not the response of the old nature, not our natural response, when it is not what they expect, that is the the witness that shines the brightest because it shows the difference that it makes, that you know Jesus Christ. You know the hope of heaven to come. You know his love, what he's done for you in sending and laying down his life on the cross for you. You know those things so that you can have, even in the lion's den, whatever it is for you. You have a joy. You have things to be thankful for. And it's not a plastic happiness. It's a real joy. It doesn't mean there's not grief, that there's not concern, that there's not... Uh, stresses that they're not frustrations, but at the core, there is a real joy. When I was a teenager, we sang a song, I learned a song uh, from a a contemporary artist at the time. It was named Pat Terry. How many of you have heard of Pat Terry? Anybody here? I see one hand, two hands. Pat says something about how wonderful contemporary stuff can be gone in 40 years but i loved this song and it was, it was, he told the story of daniel in this song and then the the chorus he, he spells it out he says well early in the morning when the sun came up the king was feeling down he went to the lions and he looked in the window and you never guess what he found Oh, Daniel was leading those lines in the hymn. They were clapping their big brown paws. He said, an angel of the Lord to come around last night and he clamped those lion's jaws. It it was a fun song to play. It was a fun song to say. I asked Mike a uh, a few weeks ago, said, listen to this song, see if you can learn it and and play it. And it's really a hard song uh, uh, to pull off. But it's always stuck in me that I know there's artistic license for him to say, Daniel was leading those lines in the hymn. They were clapping their big brown paws because they weren't doing that. But with that artistic license, it did take me to the Apostle Paul in the New Testament when he was cast into the Philippian jail. And he was singing. He was singing. And as he was singing, the other prisoners looked and thought, how can you respond this way? And he shared the gospel with those prisoners. He wrote to the churches, he said, when he's in prison to rejoice with him because he has opportunities to share with the prison guard. The way Paul saw it was not he was in chains. They were enchained to him so that he got to share his faith with them. And they say, how can he be singing? And even more than that, when God did the marvelous thing and the gates of the prison were flung open and the Philippian jailer saw that the gates were open and he assumed the prisoners had escaped and he was about to commit suicide, Paul said, oh, don't do that. We're all here. And the Philippian jailer, like King Darius, came and praised God and received the Lord Jesus Christ. And that was the start of the church in Philippi. People are watching when you suffer to see how you respond. Does it make a difference that you know Christ and his love for you and the glory that is before you? And can they see a song in your heart in the very midst of that difficulty. It's not a callous, I'm happy, I don't care about you. It's, I am distressed about what's going on, and I really do care about you, but I have a song in my heart. Our choir is going to sing, come Christians, join to sing. When you're in the lion's den, can you lead those lions in a song? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would do this work in us. We have to gather together every week to be reminded of what you have done for us. To lift us up again, that we would leave this place with joy in our hearts. Return to your word. Give us the habit to be praying to you daily, coming to you daily as Daniel had. Father, when we are riding high in the world and we're honored, let it not go to our heads that we think that's what counts the most. So that if we are brought down, we just continue praying to you, praising you, and leading in song in the difficult circumstance. We pray that others may see and know and be brought to praise you through faith in Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.